We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. To be honest, I would put myself in the same category as D-Wade. Now our test is jumped over the scores table. Our test is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to the Monday, November 12th edition of the RotoWare NBA podcast, sponsored by DraftKings. My name, of course, is Joe Bartle, and alongside me today is Alex Google Me Barutha. Uh, <laughs> Papa Barutha is going to be in, in the Madison, uh, well, not office, but I should say in the Madison vicinity in the next 45 minutes or so. So if this feels a bit rushed, it's because we don't want to upset Papa Barutha. <laughs> you don't want to do that. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Well, we do have the privilege of getting to discuss... Uh, Really, the biggest news I think that we're going to see for quite a while in the NBA, and that yeah. was Jimmy Butler being traded. That was announced as I was doing the NFL wire, believe it or not, on, <laughs> on Saturday well, afternoon that the 76ers had acquired Jimmy Butler for really what was Sarich, Covington, and some bit pieces on both sides of things. It's fair to say that the 76ers have gotten better with this trade. I don't think there's any argument out there that they have they've gotten worse. They've lost a little bit of depth, but right. certainly adding a player of Jimmy Butler's caliber is going to make you better. And there was also rumors already starting that he was set to re-sign with the 76ers when his contract is up. So that kind of information all ties into what I think is the bigger question first, and I'll pose it to you, Alex. 
Did the 76 or well, I guess did the 76ers get the better end of this trade or was it the Timberwolves? Uh that's a I think that's a tough question to answer. I think I mean this is I mean this essentially signals the death of the process in Philadelphia and by trading Sarich and Covington who are like key role players you've essentially I you don't have to sign Jimmy Butler after like to a max deal after this. Maybe you can get him at a discount, but you've kind of locked yourself into this Jimmy Butler Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid core, which I think is, I think Butler's a fine player to have next to those guys. Like he's a secondary ball handler that can shoot next to Simmons. Um, but I also, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Covington and Saric. I think they'll play really well in Minnesota. Minnesota can, I mean, it's kind of up to Tom Thibodeau at this point, who I think is falling out of favor with a lot of people. Yeah, but you think? You, yeah, right. <laughs> they can run a very, I mean, they can run a five out offense. I mean, you have Towns, Sarich, Covington spacing the floor. Wiggins is kind of a question mark, but, you know, theoretically. And Teague there. I, you know, I like the trade for both parties. I think Minnesota did the right thing. I think Philly, they didn't want to miss out on the possibility of not signing a free agent this summer after they kind of missed out on LeBron. They missed out on Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. So they've got something locked up, and that's good. I know I've kind of avoided answering your initial question, but well, no, I I think it's there's a lot of different conversations to come from this trade, and I think we're going to see it kind of play out in the ensuing months and weeks of the NBA season, where it's tough to grade it right now. Initially, I believe I agree with you. I think Sarge and Covington are actually pretty good pieces, and we were kind of talking off air. I'll present the question to you now, though: Is this the best deal that the Wolves have? So, I mean, we had heard about Josh Richardson from the Heat and what sounded like a couple first-round picks or at least a first-round pick, and that deal was nixed at the very last second by one side or the other a couple weeks ago or kind of the start of the NBA season. I actually think the Wolves did better by getting Sarge and Covington than what Josh Richardson and the Heat first-round picks would have been able to give you in a deal that kind of happened a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's that's, that's not an easy question. I think I would have preferred josh richardson i think he's just an extremely dynamic player like he's a he can he can play off ball he can spread the floor he's a solid defender he can dribble i mean he's he's turning himself into a legitimate like i want to i want to say a star but he's a 100 percent a starter in the nba and can play 35 minutes a night he's constantly proving to play 35 minutes a night he can handle primary ball handling responsibilities like when dragic is out josh richardson's the point guard um but at the same time, yeah, I mean, Sarge and Covington are, they're specialists and uh, Covington more than Sarge. Covington's an elite three-point shooter, an elite defender. And Sarge gives you, he's, I guess he, he's not as much of a specialist, but he can, he's dynamic off the bench. He can pass, he can do some rebounding. He hasn't been shooting that well this year. I assume that'll, that'll increase. Um, I don't think either one of the deals is significantly better than the other but i think if you would have made me pick one i would have taken josh richardson i guess okay so i'll pose the question to you in a different way on a championship winning roster how where does josh richardson fit like is he the third best player the second best player on a championship winning roster probably the fourth okay third or fourth what about sarge and covington same question i put them fourth and fifth so on a championship-winning roster, you, in your opinion, Sarich and Covington could be the fourth or fifth best player on the team, yeah. and Richardson could be 
the fourth or fifth, fifth best player on the team? I would put fourth or third for okay. Richardson. So in that sense, then the Wolves acquired two players that, again, they're, they're far away from being a championship roster. I, I understand that. But right. they acquired two players that are only slightly worse, in your opinion, sure. than Josh Richardson. How is that not a better deal for them then? My thought is that it's harder to it would be harder for you to sign that third player in free agency or acquire him somehow rather than getting theoretically someone who could be your third best player in a trade and then trying to sign a fourth and fifth best guy. Okay. So That's, it's easier to acquire a fourth or fifth best guy as opposed to the third best guy. Yes. Okay. All right. And that's that's a certainly an interesting conversation point, too, that we could be having. I, I agree that I think Josh Richardson is the better player. I feel like Miami, there's other than the weather, there's something in, that, in the water down there <laughs> where the reclamation projects for a lot of those guys are incredible. And I think that has to go a little bit something to Spolstra. I, I think the coaching staff and maybe even Pat Riley plays a bit of a part into that. If Josh Richardson was to be on the Kings, for example, I don't think he'd be doing as well as what we're seeing currently. And that's that shouldn't be – I really get frustrated when we see this in the NFL when the coaching staff takes away from what a player is capable of doing. You see it all the time with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, yada, yada, yada. I, I get upset because that's – again, that's not how we're supposed to be viewing it. Um, but when it comes down to, okay, what did they acquire for Jimmy Butler, who is a top 15, top 20 player in the NBA, I still think they ended up doing better than what – was just essentially a Josh Josh Richardson type deal from the Heat. Yeah, and I mean, it's Josh Richardson. This is, I mean, a hundred percent a huge breakout year for him. I mean, he was the fortieth overall pick in twenty fifteen. Essentially, spent the first two years of his career kind of like trying to find his role, and he was injured. He played a combined one hundred and five games his first two years. Last year, they gave him a real like starting role, and you could tell like he was going to be a good player. But I mean, this year he's averaging twenty one points a game. Four rebounds, three and a half assists, a combined uh, two steals and blocks, and he's shooting 42% from three. I mean, this is a huge – I mean, this, there really are not a lot of players in the league that can do that at all. And this has been 12 games. It could decrease, sure. But he shot 45% last year, 38% from three. It's – yeah, it's – that's a tough question because we're talking about, you know, do you want the – would you rather have two – would you rather have an elite role player at a great price like Covington and the guy who could like, you know, a guy like Saric who still has some upside, he's a big who can shoot, or do you want, you know, Josh Richardson who it you would have to, you would have to go out and find the depth. Like you would have to go find those elite role players and you might have to end up overpaying for those guys. Right. We've seen so many teams overpay for role players that the fact that you can get Covington and Saric, especially Covington on the deal that he's on, um, is just valuable in and of itself. And who knows what you might have had to pay Josh Richardson if he keeps playing like this. I, I mean, his contract, he still has two or three years, but th- that's that's an interesting point. I think Covington probably is overpaid for what he'd be asked to do on a championship winning roster as well. Like he's a he's an expensive role player and one that isn't all that great at defense. Like I think he's a little bit overrated in, in terms of his defense abilities, but certainly his three-point shooting is an asset that I think is well worth acquiring. I'm going to I'm going to give you one more question based off of this because again, I think it's a very interesting story and we're not going to get much better ones throughout the next couple of weeks or so of the NBA season. Sure. What is the biggest weakness of the 76ers currently? As it is without Jimmy Butler, what was the biggest weakness of this team in your opinion? Uh for them it's mostly spacing. Okay. They just don't have three-point shooters. Uh I agree. enough three-point shooters. And then what did they just do? 
They traded their three-point shooters. So I don't understand it. Like, so I get it. I get acquiring another starter. And you, mm-hmm. I, I walked you into this. You had no idea that I was going to no, pose what, yeah. that question. But yeah, that's that's what I think a lot of people would be saying the 76ers' main struggle is that, hey, they don't have a lot of spacing. Ben Simmons hasn't developed an outside game yet. He will. He, he hasn't yet. And Fultz, of course, we all know what his struggles are from really beyond the free throw line, much less the three-point line. I understand they're young players, but... To give away two of really your only valuable three-point shooters, they have J.J. Redick, and then that's it. Jimmy Butler isn't known for his three-point shooting. He can't. He can space it, of course, right. because he's an elite player. But that's not what he's known for. To me, it doesn't. It's not as great of a deal as I think a lot of people are anticipating. The Seventy Sixers are going to do good because they're in the East, and mm-hmm. there are the Raptors, and there are the Bucks, and there are the Celtics, and those are the three teams that really are any concern to that team whatsoever. The Philadelphia. I don't think they're better than the Raptors as currently constructed with Butler. I don't think they're better than the Celtics. You can make a case they're not better than the Bucks too. And I think we both have biases to the point where I'm going to avoid that entirely. Right. I, I, I just don't. If you're you're going to have to pay him $200 million for a guy that's going to be 30 years old and isn't going to really provide any answers to what is going to be one of the most difficult parts of building a team with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, that being lack of three-point shooting. Right. And that makes me feel like this move is more about next year and beyond. Like, I think this year they're just going to have to, they could maybe, excuse me, make some trades for floor spacing. They could maybe explore the buyout market. Like last year they got Bellinelli and Urson, but how many times are you going to be able to sign two guys like that? And they both overperform by like 10 to 15% of what's expected. Um, And there's a ton of other teams in the race for guys like that. Now, I mean, Los Angeles is going to be extremely, I mean, they're going to be in that, um, Milwaukee could even be in that. You got yeah. other teams in the West. I mean, Houston for, I mean, all we know and we'll get there, but like, yeah, I mean, to me, this move for this year, I mean, it gives them, it gives them like tangible upside because now you have Jimmy Butler, but I think there's clearly still work to be done with the roster that may not be able to be accomplished until next year or the year after. So I think this move and that's why I kind of called it like the death of the process. It's just like you sign this guy and you're, you're kind of in win now mode, but you may not even win this year. Right. You're kind of winning next year still. And by that time, Jimmy Butler's 30, 31, you might have to sign him to a hundred million dollar deal. I mean, maybe he, I, hopefully he would take a discount. Um, yeah, I don't know though. I, Cause you're going to be insanely capped out. Right. Like you signed Jimmy Butler, then you, you already got Embiid's extension done and he's at a relative discount as you know, so what he could be as a, yeah. And they, I agree with you, yep. they have injury, uh, clauses in there, but you're gonna have to max out Ben Simmons. So you don't have a lot of room. Like this is your core. If you max out Jimmy Butler right. and then you got to spend the next year or two figuring out who plays well around Jimmy Butler. Can Mark Fultz even function on this team? Um, stuff like that. It, it makes a lot of sense. I understand acquiring a star. Anytime you acquire a star in the NBA, you're probably getting the better end of the deal, but it's just a, a really bizarre thing for what I would have thought the wolves would be losing leverage as the days and weeks go by losing leverage as far as trading Jimmy Butler to see them have to give up two, I think very important pieces to, if they were to win this year or next year in Covington and Sarge for a guy that doesn't immediately add a lot of uh, versatility to an offense that needs that three-point shooting, whatever else. It's just difficult. I, you brought up the buyout market. I think a very obvious mercenary that I could see joining the 76ers is Kyle Korver. I mean, yeah. the Cavs really stink. He's had a couple stints on that 76ers team. He knows the he knows the area. Other than maybe joining the Lakers or joining uh, the Bucks and, and Budenholzer again, because he was with the Hawks for right. a couple 
really when he was best in his career. That one makes a lot of sense to me. I anticipate they'll add three-point shooting as the season progresses. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, we've kind of beat this to the death, but I, I just think that that's it's – a, it's a curious trade on both sides of things, and I don't think it's as obvious of a win for the 76ers as the media and, the, and particularly their, uh, really the East Coast media has made it seem to be so far. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, other news as far as, well, important players, but I don't even think that's the case really to say anymore. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony, the players and coaches for the Houston Rockets believe Melo has played his last game with the organization. Uh, who would have saw this coming that a guy who can't play defense and really can't shoot, can't dribble in and can't pass is somehow a negative asset for the team. This is stunning to me. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, <laughs> uh yeah. I, I don't really, where do you even start with this? I mean, I, I thought about, I think when I first like saw this headline, um, I thought about how there was some joking that Carmelo wanted a, like a novelty Atlanta Hawks Carmelo jersey, like because he was traded there and never played for a right. game, bought out. But now it's like the Houston Rockets jersey is also going to be a novelty because he spent 10 games there, started two games and shot 33% from three-point line and got kicked out. Right. Um, I mean, this is... It's kind of a weird, sad ending to Carmelo's career. Like, I was never, even as someone, like, I was never this huge Carmelo fan. Like, he was fine. Like, he he was a great player for many years. It's going to be weird, I think, once he's finally done or however this year ends to, like, this this past two years has really just tainted kind of his legacy to some extent. And it probably shouldn't. Um, but... Okay, but here's so I'm I am not a Carmelo Anthony fan. I really have never been. Um and I I don't I really don't like to do the oh what is he one thing? Like that that argument really annoys me as well because there's a lot of different facets to winning besides one player taking you there. What he's going to be known for is he was an excellent scorer. Right. And he won the Olympics. Like that that's kind of what Carmelo Anthony's career is going to boil down to, a guy that probably underachieved in the postseason if he ever made it to the postseason often, you know, like that just He's going to be a Hall of Famer because his scoring was elite, and he's been elite at scoring for a long time. But the truth is that he hasn't been a great passer. He never really was a great defender, and he wasn't an excellent teammate in the NBA. The Olympics was really the only area where he was a good teammate, and it's weird to see that because you would think, hey, this is where he's going to make most of his money, um, make most of his you know resume, so to speak, in the NBA, and yet he's unable to do that, and we could see him do it in the Olympics. I don't know. I it's a non-story to me because anyone with two eyes could have saw last year Carmelo Anthony was going to struggle in any capacity where he was expected to play 25 to 35 minutes. And yet he still believes that he should be doing it. And that right there is the problem with Carmelo Anthony in today's NBA. Right. And it was just he struggled on I forgot the exact numbers. I tweeted it out at some point last year because he was complaining that he wasn't getting the shots that he wanted or the shots that and it's like you can NBA.com, you can expose any player uh, with those stats. It's like he was shooting just not good at all and like wide open threes. Like it's like what other shot do you want? Then wide open. If you can't hit wide open threes when that is theoretically what you're supposed to be good at, right. it's just you you have no value. It's just he's kind of I think the culmination of just this era of NBA players that I think history is kind of gonna look back on and not be kind to because of what we know about analytics and efficiency and what kind of shots you should be taking like it's going to be difficult for you to look at Carmelo Anthony's prime like I, like he's a guy who yeah he averaged 25 points a game for like what a decade right but you know 
Like He's going to go down as one of the best isolation players in all of NBA, analytics or otherwise. I, I really believe that like when you give a ball to Carmelo Anthony, he's more than likely going to score. And that's that's something. That's Hall of Fame worthy to be yes. considered among that. But when we're talking about career, teammate-wise, and everything else that goes along with it, there's a reason why his teams hardly ever won in the postseason or got to the postseason is because he just he didn't. I don't don't give me that he didn't have stuff around him either. Argument because I, I don't care for that as well. <laughs> I guess I'm. I just don't argue with me. That's kind of what we're going with right now. But I don't know. I just. No, I yeah. I mean, he shot forty career shot forty two percent from the field in the playoffs, thirty one percent from three in the playoffs, and I. You know, it's it's not ideal. He had a 104 offensive rating, a 107 defensive rating. It's just, it's hard. It's it's really tough because we're we are talking about a Hall of Famer, certainly. And um, but there, I think it's just if Carmelo Anthony would have you know existed today, like if if Carmelo Anthony, the prospect, would have gotten drafted today, it's like how different would his career would he, would he have ever gotten 38 minutes would a team let him shoot 22 times i think he would have had to develop more defensive skills and i think he would have had to develop develop as a passer he he got into the nba at the perfect time for carmelo anthony that we know as right now because he didn't have to be a three and d guy which he could be i really believe with his height and athleticism in his prime he could have been a three and d guy and he could have been a better passer but he didn't want to he did well maybe not didn't want to i just wasn't taught it, didn't learn it, whatever you sure. want to say. He just, that's not what he was going to be. Uh, and it became pretty apparent even during the end of his Nugget days that that wasn't going to be what he could be as a player. Yeah, yeah. I. Yeah, there's no arguments. That's exactly yeah. it, Alex. There's no <laughs> arguments to it. Well, try out Playline.com, the fastest-growing sports gaming platform in the space, and a chance to win a million dollars for free every day. There's over a billion dollars in prizes available this year. Of course, it was founded by UFC champion Michael Bisping and two-time NBA All-Star Roy Hibbert. Playline.com is a fantasy sports simplified, and unlike more traditional daily fantasy sites, which require you to set a complicated and tedious lineup that Alex is going to break down for us in a little bit. Uh, Playline <laughs> picks the players for you and only requires you to predict their stat lines. So something like how many points will Giannis score or even how many rebounds will a player get? For a limited time, Playline.com will be offering a 200% initial deposit bonus. They'll triple your money. You really just can't beat that. So use promo code MBA Millionaire to kind of get in on the 200% initial deposit bonus and yeah, Playline's been Playline's pretty, been pretty good for us. I can't really complain about it so far. It's a it's a really fun way to to do fantasy. Um, yeah, because you can you can. There's so many ways to look at I it. I like the neat angles that you can have with the, as far as who's going to rebounds and points, and it it is easier. Like, the, of course, their line says that because it is, but it really is a lot easier as opposed to kind of guessing. And that's really what we are doing for DraftKings or FanDuel. I was kind of guessing as to who could go off in a given night. It's it's a different kind of game, and I, I enjoy that about Playline. Right. Yeah. All right, well, there's uh, 10 games from Monday's slate and a, a variety of significant injuries, but, of course, we already talked about Jimmy Butler. He The trade really got consummated today. Mm-hmm. I know it was agreed upon Saturday, but just on logistics and league office stuff, the trade actually happened today. Yeah, so. apparently the league office doesn't operate on weekends, <laughs> I don't, even no, though the I, whole I sport, I, yeah. I don't blame them from that perspective because it's not fun to work on weekends. I get it. Uh, it is weird, though. It's a little bizarre. So, yeah, trade hasn't been consummated until today, so perfect jimmy butler will be out we don't really know about covington or sarachet but the expectation is that they aren't going to be playing either for the wolves right yeah i i would guess not we haven't heard anything as of yet which is weird but <laughs> um yeah i 
you I mean they're fair plays if they play. Like I can't tell you not to play them if they're available because I they're they're always fair options. Um, you know, Sarge hasn't been playing he hasn't been shooting that well, but he's a relatively high usage player right. as far as he handles the he can handle the ball a lot. Covington is a guy you put in your lineup and like hope he hits six threes, like cross your fingers. Um high upside for steals, but yeah, my guess is they won't play. Westbrook is out with an ankle injury, and Curry is out with a groin injury. I, did you see the quote that he had following that groin injury? Is that, oh, if I had an ankle injury, I, I know I'll be out one to three games. Or if I had a, the shoulder injury I think he had two years ago, yeah, I'm going to be out two weeks. I've never done this before, so I have no idea how long I'm going to be out. That's what he said with his groin. And that you know, there's an honesty to that I like about it, but it is right. a little bit concerning if you are a Steph Curry owner, whether it be – well, I guess not DFS, but more in the season-long angle. Yeah, uh, a groin injury for a point guard that really thrives on getting space in minuscule ways probably needs to have a, a healthy lower torso to be able to uh, work effectively. Yeah, I mean, the, your, just your hips in general for explosiveness are cra- like you need that a ton for basketball players. So, and yeah, when when the they did an MRI for Curry, they diagnosed it as a mild to moderate groin strain so that leaves a wide window that's like he could miss two games he could miss a week and a half so i mean i think the i think the main takeaway from this is you know quinn cook is an option dfs and quinn cook is someone you should probably be strongly considering picking up in your long leagues how about alfred payton he's doubtful along with jeff teague two point guards uh payton with the ankle injury uh and then teague with the knee injury i mean like if teague's out and if covington and sarge are out (laughs) We're we're going pretty far down as far as past Wiggins, past Towns for a third scorer for the Wolves, and somebody has to score. Like Taj Gibson's not scoring, so want somebody after those two has to. This is going to be interesting, kind of see what happens if Teague is out. Yeah, Wiggins is dealing with an injury of his own. Um, he's questionable. He is questionable with the quad. So I mean, he's theoretically he's the third guy i mean i'm derrick rose at this point like at this point you just have to say derrick rose is like playing well he's just good now um and you i mean towns is obvious but i mean they're gonna pull josh koji off the bench they're gonna pull maybe bates Jop off the bench anthony tolliver could get some run at the three um these are all i mean you know these are all flyer guys they're gonna save you some money um in your lineups so it's hard to t- it's hard to say exactly which one is is worth investing in at the price, but we've seen Josh Okoji. I think it's Okoji instead of Okoji, but uh, he has played well in the past when he's gotten extended minutes. So he's probably your safest bet, um, but is going to cost you more than the likes of Anthony Tolliver and, and Let, whoever let's else. Let's just say I like a lot of the Nets in today's Monday slate, uh, and of course, Carlos yeah. Levert is also a game time decision as well. So, like the leading score for the Nets, I can't even be that super jazzed about. But when there's such lack of depth for that team, I have to imagine that uh, the Nets and their plethora of scores, particularly on DraftKings with the three point bonus and defensive bonuses, right. would be uh, interesting plays if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Draymond Green, also questionable with a toe injury. Aaron Gordon, another magic player, questionable ankle. And then Miritich, ankles uh, injury as well, questionable. This is 10 games, but we're now getting to the point of the season. We're middle of November, getting close to November. As we get towards Thanksgiving, we're going to start seeing more of these injuries crop up. And here's where you can get a lot of the value for the players. We've got kind of figure it out as it close to the seven o'clock tip off time but yeah uh, we're gonna see we're gonna see a bit more players get injured and kind of resting a little bit especially for a team like the magic who by no means are competitive and might as well try out some of their young guys they know what they have in aaron gordon i don't know why they would throw them out there all the time unless they're really 
seeing how he fits with the rest of their their uh, uh, hodgepodge squad, so to speak. Yeah, you don't need to you don't need to rush Aaron Gordon back or anything <laughs> exactly. like that. But yeah, this is the point in the season where it's like, well, if you make your lineup at what ten a.m. right. Uh, by the time, yeah, by the back by two, yeah, it'll be completely different. It's not going to be, it's probably not going to be the same unless, I mean, you're playing some, uh, yeah. I mean, you can get away with probably, I, yeah, it's just, that's, it's that's rough. exactly why I will preface this conversation as we get closer to Alex's DFS lineup that, uh, this is not formality. I mean, we are not, we are not setting these and locking these in, uh, for certain. It's more of just, Hey, this player might be good based on their matchup. Hey, this player, uh, yeah, I mean, if, even if he's available, I wouldn't want to play him kind of thing. This kind of got played by year, and certainly as I get closer to the 7 o'clock Eastern time tip-off, Rotoware is going to have all those injury notes and analysis mm-hmm. up there and guys that could start or play 30 minutes like the Wolves. <laughs> uh, we'll have more information and ideas on as it gets close to that point. I just saw this just came through. Uh, Draymond Green is planning to play, so he should be considered probable. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's planning. I don't right. know. I, I've I've seen so many different things. We've been doing this podcast now for two years at least on DFS angles, and there's been at least multiple occasions that I can think of off the top of my head where it's like, oh yeah, hey, Steph Curry says he's going to play. Nope, out. And oh yep. yeah, Draymond Green. Nope, out. Okay, because the Warriors don't have to do anything in the regular season. This right. is not the 82 games that are kind of just a formality for that team at this point, and especially with all those guys there. All right, anyway, I, I, I'm rambling here. <laughs> Anthony Davis is your highest-priced player on Monday's slate, at least for DraftKings, at 11600 against the Raptors. Kevin Durant, probably the guaranteed healthy member of the Warriors, is 11000 against the Clippers. And Joel Embiid is your third-highest-priced player on DraftKings slate at 10100 versus the Heat. The highest over-under for uh, Monday's 10-game slate is going to be the Pelicans at Raptors, 231.5. I would imagine as we get to get more of the uh news in there that maybe that wolves nets game gets to be higher but i don't think it, do you think it crosses 231 probably not there could be a lot i mean pelicans and raptors over under might be so high because it's a fast pace and these teams are good so they're gonna make shots oh yeah <laughs> true yeah you get nets yeah you, yeah, you get nets wolves with some players out it could yeah. be a fast pace but it might be a lot of bricks so yeah, that's true the lowest over under is gonna be jazz at grizzlies in two uh 203 i i would not be taking the over on that, frankly. I I understand how the NBA is now currently, uh, but yeah, Jazz Grizzlies. Yeah, that's a fair over under. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. Largest spread, of course, the Raptors over the Pelicans by nine, and the smallest spread, Mavericks over the Bulls. Um, yeah, I don't, like anything that you really pick out noteworthy from particular matchups, or would you rather kind of get into more of your DFS lineup? Um, I think we can just jump into the DFS lineup, okay. discuss some stuff, because I think those games are kind of, I think those all speak for themselves. Like Mavericks-Bulls is just chaos. Like both these teams are bad and they're, you know, Pelicans-Raptors, that might depend on, I mean, if uh, Peyton's probably out, um, so I there's a, it's a nine-point favor for the Raptors for a reason. They're an incredible team, you know. Uh, Miritich has got an ankle thing. Right. It's, yeah. Well, don't get overeager i'm talking about your dfs lineups and who's gonna be playing because we have partnered up with DraftKings to bring you a rotowire six months membership for free so here's how it works go to rotowire.com slash DraftKings, sign up for a new account and make a ten dollar deposit or more that's right you'll get six months access to all tools and sports on rotowire.com which includes dfs lineup optimizers weekly rankings premium articles full season draft draft software uh, defense and first positioning tools which i love quite a bit yeah. and much more all for ten dollars which you can then enter into contests to potentially win more so we're super excited to bring you this deal, of course. And if you want access right away, go to rotowire.com slash DraftKings and follow the instructions. 
eligibility restrictions apply, and then new DraftKings users only. See DraftKings.com for details. All right. Before we get to your lineup, sure. let's kind of get that this guy or that guy situation going again, because I, I really do think this is an important thing. And last week we had talked about uh, it was Chris Middleton or Carlos Levert, I think, and Carlos Levert so. was 7,200 and Middleton was 7,000. I argued Middleton was the right play. The answer was both. Both were the right play. <laughs> they both had over 45 points. And frankly, that was the difference between, in my opinion, a winning lineup, at least on the, the double-up format, than mm-hmm. maybe the tournament setting. So uh, Drew Holiday against the Raptors or Kyle Lowry against the Pelicans. This is your 8,200 Holiday or 8,400 Lowry in a matchup that is going to be uh, two point guards pit against one another. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting um, really interesting choice. I'm, I'm going Lowry because New Orleans – can't guard point guards absolutely garbage at defense first position i forgot the exact numbers if if you read my fan duel article that's up today shameless plug just it's in there just google me (laughs) um this game sure this game has blowout risk right the raptors could go up 15 and lowry might play 25 minutes we saw that happen last game um and at the same token the like i say this i feel like i say this every time now the the pelicans really need a win (laughs) they're six and six right now like they need to win so holiday might play 40 minutes maybe more if they need him to um but ultimately i i i'm gonna go with lowry just the high pace the fact that new orleans can't guard point guards you know lowry could put up 60 fantasy points it wouldn't shock me yeah and you had said earlier when we were talking about the highest over-unders um both teams are going to be making shots because they're actually okay teams. Like this is a situation where they get to be 115, 110. You see, oh wait, they've both shot almost 50% from the field. Like this is, right. that's how you get into that scenario. Up pace tempo and two teams that know how to score the basket. Lowry, whether he's shooting or even assisting for that matter, is going to get his points on DraftKings. And I think I'm leaning that direction too. For just a $200 savings, I like that quite a bit. That makes a lot of sense to me. Paul George at 9,700 against the Suns or DeMar DeRozan at 9,300 against the Kings is a bit of a different conversation, though. Like, I think that's a very interesting forward matchup on DraftKings, and I don't know if I have a direction that I lean one way or the other, frankly. I think I would go DeRozan um, because, I mean, for for as bad as the Suns are, they're – their best defense is on the wings. That's if they provide any defense anywhere on the court, which they really don't. If one part of their team is going to play well defensively, it's going to be their wings. They have Trevor Ariza, they have Josh Jackson, they have McCall Bridges. Like those guys, you know, I think have a better chance at stopping Paul George than anyone on the Kings does at stopping Demar Derozan. Um, and so. I, I think ultimately, you know, DeRozan's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. They're, they both are. But if I was going to go anybody from this OKC Phoenix game, it would probably be Dennis Schroeder. Oh, okay. Especially with Westbrook out. Um, Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, with Westbrook out, yeah, Dennis right, Schroeder. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, they Phoenix gives up, yeah, I think they're top five in points allowed to point guards fantasy-wise. So um, I think if you're going to do anybody from this game, it, it would be Dennis Schroeder. I know who I would take in this next, this guy or that guy, but I'm interested to hear your perspective. Alex Vucevic against the Wizards and Dwight Howard. Or Hassan Whiteside at 8,200 against the 76ers. Vucevic is 8,500. Of course, the Magic stink, and the 76ers don't. So I'm leading towards Vucevic, uh, but I'll I'll kind of toss to you. That's the way I'm going to. I would go Vucevic uh, against Washington, especially if you consider, like, if Aaron Gordon's out, 
Um, I think, I mean, I don't really know what else they're going to do besides, you know, feed the ball, ball to Vucevic and uh, let that kind of do, <laughs> just see whatever happens there. Um, you know, White Sox against Philly, I think is, I mean, the Embiid White Side matchup is going to be just fun to watch. Um, but it's a, you know, the question with White Side, not as much this year as last year, but it's, is White Side going to play 30 to 35 minutes? You, this is the exact matchup where you need Whiteside is against Joel Embiid. You need him out there. You need him to play defense. The question is, is he going to produce because he's being guarded by Joel Embiid, vice versa? So ultimately, I think Vucevic is in just in, an easier matchup and is a way better passer, can hit threes. Um, so and I could see yeah. – oh, I'm sorry. I cut you off there. That's fine. I, I could see Embiid – uh, after the game, saying, "Oh, I have real estate in Whiteside's head too," and then this, this be a slogan that he runs with the rest of the year. Like right. he'll be saying, "I've real estate in John Henson's head" by the end of the <laughs> season too. Like I sometimes and beat, and I love this about players that when they artificially make storylines that there's no reason to. Like if we're talking, who's the better player, Embiid or Drummond? It, it's very clearly Embiid, in my opinion. And I think the right. same could be said for Embiid versus Whiteside. But yet the simple fact that they play the same position and they are arguably close as far as skill and potential i could see Embiid going off and just having a game on white side and i understand the point which you're making that they need white side to be in there but uh vucevic all the way for me and really the wizards also allow the third most points to the center spot uh you know i, I think that's an interesting facet as well and uh maybe he not that he attempts any threes i don't know i just Somebody has to score for the Magic. This is an NBA team. Somebody has to score. I imagine he's the probably main culprit if you're, you know, to guess who's going to be the highest scorer for the Magic in this game. Yeah, it's either going to be Vucevic or Fournier, assuming uh, assuming Aaron Gorgon's out. And if Aaron Gorgon's out, like play Fournier, like do it. Yeah, uh, he he's he might be pacing like a he might be looking to career high in assists. I feel like every time I look at Fournier's DFS numbers, he's got more assists than I've ever seen him get before. Yeah, he's on a career high pace. He's got four point four assists per game right now. Fournier does so they they run more offense through him than they used to. I should have a stat correction. Uh, I said third highest points for the center spot. The Wizards have allowed. That's on Fanduel, DraftKings. They're about middle of the pack, but still, just I, I'm not deterred at all in any way by, based off the matchup. I think that he'll have his have his points throughout the game. Yeah, I mean the, the DraftKings one I think is going to factor in everybody who qualifies at center. So like Rondé Hollis Jefferson is going to be in there. It's not really the same. Um, so I think in certain ways the fan duel is more accurate is, to the position. Yeah, you gotta be you can be picky and choosy and, and figure out something better. Okay, well, that's fair. Before Papa Barutha comes in here and gets angry at me, <laughs> I'll let you run through your DFS lineup and kind of just tell the people what you're looking at right now. Of course, again, we've highlighted this earlier in the podcast, but we are recording this at around one o'clock central time. As it gets closer to 7 o'clock Eastern time, we'll have more of an idea as to who's starting, who's sitting, and where the value is. You can Google Alex and figure out, based off his Twitter line, timeline or RotoWire's Twitter timeline, who's the best place to go with. But all that being prefaced ahead, I'll let you kind of give your say on your lineup so far. Sure. So at point guard, I have Kyle Lowry, as previously discussed. Shooting guard, uh, I'm looking to Lou Williams. I think... Most people would avoid playing a shooting guard against Golden State because of Clay Thompson, but the Warriors allow, I think, the second most fantasy points to shooting guards on the season, just really surprising. And Lou Williams has been playing really well as of late, looking more of like his sixth man self, his usage is up, his fantasy points are up. So you're getting him at 6,100, and you can at least lock in, it seems like, 25 fantasy points for him with an upside of 35, if not 40. I have Jay Crowder against Memphis. This is a slow-paced matchup, 
but Memphis, uh, I think, is top five in the league, fantasy points allowed to, to small forwards. Um, and I was surprised to see that Crowder actually plays more small forward than he does power forward. I would expect him to play more power forward. That's not the case. He's been playing really well, very much under the radar this year. I feel like no one's talking about Jay Crowder having kind of a resurgent fantasy season. He's playing, I think he's arguably just as good or better of a fantasy asset now that he was during his last year in Boston. Um, I have Pascal Siakam at power forward at 5,900 against New Orleans. New Orleans can't guard power forwards. Um, especially with Miritich out, too. Especially with, yeah, if Miritich is playing on a bum ankle or he's just out entirely, I think this is a good opportunity for Siakam, especially since guys like Valanciunas and Ibaka are probably just going to be smothered by Anthony Davis the entire game. So I, they might not really be getting as many rebounds as you would think. Uh, I have Carl Anthony Towns at 8,900 against Brooklyn. I think that kind of speaks for, speaks for itself. Uh, Butler's out of town. The Nets are just as bad this year as they were last year at guarding centers. Um, and at guard, I have TJ McConnell at 3,800 against Miami. The 76ers still have like nine available players. TJ McConnell, I think 30-ish fantasy points during their previous game. He could go 10 times value. It, he's done it before. Um, Montrez Harrell at 5,600 against Golden State. I think they're up. Harrell makes sense as a center against Golden State. He's been playing a lot lately. Gortat's essentially out of the rotation. And so you are getting a guy at 5,600 who at this point seems like he has a 20 fantasy point floor, could easily get you 30, 35 fantasy points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we saw how Giannis abused the Warriors inside and Montrezl Harrell is a high efficiency in like inside player. Yeah. So he kind of fits that mold. Draymond back would complicate things, but I still like it regardless. Finally, uh, Jabari Parker as utility at 5,800. I usually don't play Jabari Parker that much in fantasy, but he fit in my lineup monetarily. I looked at the other options for around the same price. Dallas is not good. Um, seems like a matchup that Parker could, you know, if 30 points, eight rebounds wouldn't surprise me. They just don't. It, Dallas can't guard anybody. So um, I think he's a fair option there definitely would be open to other options jerry parker is the farthest thing from a lock in my lineup so that utility spot is going to be used wisely in alex's lineup so far kyle lowry at 8400 against the pelicans lou williams 6100 against the warriors crowder 5200 against the grizzlies i'm going to correct you that they allow actually mid-tier points on DraftKings, the small forward spot but FanDuel might say otherwise which is again i, I lean towards what you were saying in the center spot that uh you know there's there's some differences that can be made for who plays small forward and where they're listed on DraftKings. Siakam at 5,900 against the Pelicans. Carl Anthony Towns, 8,900 against the Nets. TJ McConnell, 3,800, good for 10 times the value, according to Alex. Against the Heat, uh, lock it in. Lock it in. <laughs> lock it in 10 times value. 5,600 uh, against the Warriors at the forward spot and utility. Not really utility. Probably going to be somewhere else. Jabari Parker, 5,800 against the I Can't Play Anything at All Mavericks is Alex's lineup for right now. Uh, I think that does it really for us on the Monday NBA podcast. Hopefully, there'll be another interesting trade to discuss next week but if there's not you can always google alex barutha and find out his twitter account and let him know how you really feel about that trade overall
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.